This is Take a Second, a weekly Come Follow Me podcast that focuses on finding the Savior in the Old Testament, and then how we might teach it in family or ward settings. I'm Brian Ricks, and Stuart Black is joining me to make sure that we stay on the rails. We are recording the podcast from the Student Lounge at the Pocatello Institute, so thanks for joining us for our lunchtime discussion of this week's Come Follow Me Scripture Block. Okay, I need you to tell us everything you can about three characters from the Bible. Are you ready? Oh, man. Okay. Here we go. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I know nothing. I don't think so. I I really don't. (laughs) You're asking the the convert here. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing? I I bet Jenna knows. You you have to transition over. (laughs) Jenna, come here. She's out. (laughs) All right. Kat, tell us everything you know about these three characters from from the Old Testament. Are you ready? Okay. Hananiah. Mishael, and Azariah. Well, I know they'll give a name. <laughs> Aren't those one? No, that's not... She'll, wait, see, right now we're in Ezekiel, right? Nope. Like, ah... Uh, their names are familiar. I know them. It is something like profiting. Yeah. Tristan, tell us everything you know about Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Um, well, they got kidnapped by a king, thrown in the furnace, saved by God, and they'll give a name to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Oh. Well done. Bam! Well done. Well done. <laughs> All right, so I'm excited about the book of Daniel. Me too. I like this book. Um, and every time I get to it, I realize I really only know about the first four chapters. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, six. The first six chapters. I know. I, but chapter four you skip anyways. And same with five. Yeah. Chapters I, one, two, three. And six. And six. Those are the, those are the main ones. Which, frankly, we're probably going to spend the most time That's, in anyway. It is. It is. I, I get so excited. Even in my prep, I don't get past those chapters. So... <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to another week. Um, we're gonna uh, we're gonna jump into the book of Daniel for one one day. We're kind of done with the major books, with the big books. Um, yeah, minor prophets. And, and now we're to the yeah. Next week we'll start the minor prophets. We've got Daniel, and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Um, I I'm excited to talk about these four young men and 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 to be honest, to, I to take their their experience to a level that I've not that I've never considered it before, but maybe make comparisons. I, I intentionally stayed away from the word of wisdom comparison this time that I almost always go to when I talk about Daniel. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, and I also looked at Nebuchadnezzar a little bit different this time. Cool. So I'm excited to, to jump into that and hear what, you, uh, what jumped out um, at you. Just a, a big part is, as you mentioned, that uh, I think in the past... Um, you always had like the word of wisdom part, like chapter one, mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, and this sets you apart. It was almost, I don't want to say it was a primary-esque story, but it was kind of like this, like it was easy for me as a little kid to understand like, look how good of a person Daniel is. Yeah. And and I, I made a connection this time from chapter one, connecting it to chapter two that I had never done before. And so I'm kind of excited to, okay, cool. to talk about it a little bit. So, um, and just jump in when you want, but um, here in, in chapter one, of course, um, this is uh, Daniel's taken captive to Babylon uh, as part of the first deportation of the Jews in like 605-ish. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, the book of Daniel is li- likely written just a bunch of years later uh, because Daniel kind of overlaps with two of these kingdoms, with mm-hmm. the Persians and, and also with the uh, with the Babylonians. But uh, the background of who Daniel is, he's like this. As as they're taken out, like in uh, in Daniel chapter one, in verse. Verses 3, 4, and 5, it talks about, uh, this is where it sets up the story, but it says that certain of the children of Israel 
and of the king's seed and of the princes. There's not very many Israelites at this point. Yeah. They are very few, and they all have these types of qualities in, in verse 4. Children in whom there is no blemish, but well-favored, and skillful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge, and understanding of science. And they had the ability to stand in the king's presence. They're basically training the next generation of, of people here. And the Assyrians did something unique when they conquered another people, is they'd break up families. Mm -hmm. And so they'd send the family, like, dad over this corner, mom in this corner, kids in this corner. and. And it's eerily similar to what, like the Jew, or what happened to the Jews in, during the Holocaust. Yes. That that people have often thought, if I can break up a family, I can break up religion. And and it's crazy that, I mean, people we act shocked that Satan's attacking families today. And you're like, well, if you can break up a family, you can break up religion. Yep. And and so this is it, it's happening all of the time. But um, I think just as a quick like readiness teaching idea thing here in this chapter. In, in verse 4, I'd say, are these skills helpful or hurtful in keeping the word of wisdom? Hmm. Being popular, being smart, loving science, like being healthy. Because there's, you're, most people are going to talk to somebody at some stage of life where they're like, this article says that if you drink wine, if you yep. drink coffee, then you're healthy and you'll be One better. of the longest living longer. ladies ever yes. in France drink yes. a glass of wine every day. Right. Something, yes. something along those lines. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that that gives you to a, a big discussion. And and if I were you, I'd try and go away from the specifics of like, the word of wisdom says this, the word of wisdom says, mm -hmm. says this. And I would look for what are the blessings? What are some blessings of the word of wisdom? And even this. What are some of the reasons why God wants you to live the word of wisdom? Mm. And then as you're answering that question, look here. And, and of course, and we'll paraphrase this part fast, but um, Daniel tells the king, uh, the, the servant of the king, he says, no, we're not going to drink that meat. Uh, drink that meat. Drink that wine or eat that I'm meat. not going to drink because <laughs> drinking <laughs> meat is gross. gross. <laughs> Anyways, um, and uh, keep in mind that Daniel has now become friends with them. In verse 9, it says, now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. The friends that you have are your friends for a reason. He's yeah. going to let you be a big difference maker and, and lead them to good. And this this servant, uh, this prince here, he says, if if I don't take good care of you, I'm in trouble. So you see all this pressure from Daniel that they're the not minority just in trouble. group. I can get killed. Like My yes. head is on the plate. It, it, it's it not is, grounded yes. for a while or cleaning out stalls. No. Like My life and death. If you look weaker... At the end of it, if at any point your face is a little sunken or you don't have the strength, you don't have the stamina, I get killed, Daniel. So, like, we can't mess with this. Yes. And and part of that is because these people are an investment. Yes. We mentioned the Assyrians broke up all the families. The Babylonians are doing something completely different. They're taking the top-notch people and they're saying, we're going to make you Babylonian. Yeah. You're going to become a part of our society and you're going to get all these blessings. They they don't have bishops. They're it's just them. There's no old people. It's just them. Where's their parents? It's just them. Yeah. It's it's this moment where they really are saying, we will stand up and we're going to be different. And and I, I love it. Then Daniel, of course, his challenge is 10 days. I love and that. I, just 10 days, you're like, How, what difference can you make? And he says, just give us pulse. It's like birdseed bread. That's he says, like, that's what we're going to be. That's what we're going to be eating. Just none of this white bread stuff. He says, we want Just healthy stuff and water. Yep. And, and I, I love that. And um, as you're asking your class and talking about what are some of the different reasons why God would have us live the word of wisdom, they're going to mention, well, you're going to be healthier. Okay. Mm -hmm. and, and you're going to be the healthiest you you can be. And I love that you highlight that. Okay. 
Um, but here's some of the other ones here in, in verse 17. This is the connection, then we'll keep going. But 17 says, as for these four children, so at the end of the 10 days, they're fair and fatter mm-hmm. in flesh. God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And the connection I had never really pieced together is, if Daniel hadn't lived the word of wisdom in one, how does he interpret the dream in two? In two. And I which thought, sets him which, and Hananiah yes. and, uh, and Mishael and Ezra yes. up for the rest of the book. Yeah. And, and I had always been like, That's word of wisdom connection. story, and then this other one. I was like, no, right here in 17, it's telling us, you got to understand that God is saying, I'm going to do this for you. And I, I think, I, I was speaking with uh, um, one of my uh, nephews, we, we hiked the Grand Canyon a couple weeks ago, and he was asking me about the word of wisdom, and he mentioned a bunch of his friends. He's in his um, later 20s, and he said, they don't care anymore about the word of wisdom. They drink coffee or, or tea or all this other stuff. And Andy, uh, w- as we were talking about it, I said, I wonder if one of the reasons, one, not saying the one reason is, God asks us to live the word of wisdom so we can be different. The fastest thing, like when you go to a business party, a business function, the beginning of the day, and they're like, what kind of coffee do you want? I don't drink coffee. Why? Bingo. You, you now can go I'm anywhere about you want. The mm-hmm. Yeah, because you've you asked want. me. Yes. I'm not being pushy. I'm not being... Not at all. You've opened the door. That's in Clayton Christensen's book, Every Power of Everyday Missionaries. He, ta- he, he touches on that. Like, if you can live your life in such a way that people will ask you questions, you don't have to be the pushy mes- mis- member missionary. You're the ones, all you got to do is answer questions. Mm-hmm. And, and it makes it so much easier. And I, yeah. I really think for me, that's that's a huge reason why you can, I don't I don't care what all the health studies say. Mm-hmm. God has promised that you'll be healthy enough. And I'm like, that works for me. Yep. I, I take that part with faith, like Daniel's 10-day tournament. I'll, I'll be just fine here. But I think a huge reason is you be different. Yeah. What, what opportunities does Daniel now have to stick up? What opportunities does he now have to speak to the king? And, and that's, I think, just that springboard for the rest of it. And I, so, and that touches on, I looked at this, as I went through this, and and looked at what Daniel and uh, Hananiah and, and the friends were look, were going through, I thought about this fact. They've been removed from their culture. They've been removed from any, any, any mentors and everything else. Uh, and this is the cream of the crop. This is... How demoralizing to the Jews that would have been left, like in Ezekiel, that would have been on the outskirts, that when the royalty of Babylon comes through, you see Daniel, who was one of your princes in Egypt, in Israel, and he's become Babylonian. Like, how, how demoralizing would that be to you? And I, I, one of the greatest blessings I've, I've had over the course of my career and is, is to have been uh, affiliated with EFY. And uh, sometimes as a teacher, sometimes as a session director. And I really loved my years as session, my, my session direct, sessions that I session directed, uh, because I got to know some of the youth leaders, some of the, or some of the young adult leaders, yeah. uh, the, the counselors, counselors and yeah. the the building. We call them building coordinators for a while, and I don't. They they've changed and everything else. So, but just that that core group of of young adult leaders and young people who are right off their missions or a couple of years past their missions and they just have this intense fire for the gospel and they're teaching and they're testifying and I get to watch them and we get to have conversations and I intentionally engage in talks in conversations about the scriptures or about conference talks and I just I see this light burning them and then as and, and with the the blessing of, of uh, social media and different ways to stay in contact I've I've intentionally stayed in contact with many of them and some of them I've watched leave kind of that EFY Provo, that 
post-mission experience and go on to grad school, most of them go on to grad school and then submerse themselves in a new culture um, and, and eventually kind of allow that culture to overtake them. And then all of a sudden, I, I, I just notice in their posts and in their talk and in the things that they're reading, and the, the, sh the focus shifts away from those things that they loved when we were at EFY. Mm -hmm. uh, and then all of a sudden, it's just, it's the whole culture of that grad school, whatever, that program kind of really just takes over. And then, and then it's not too long that I find that, you know, there's some declaration on, on Instagram or on Facebook that... I'm no longer I'm no longer a participating member of the church, or I, I'm I'm embracing this other lifestyle. And I've thought about this in verse five when it says the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat, and nobody really knows what's wrong with the meat. There's some speculation. Some scholars speculate that it was it was pork or some other meat that le, the the Levitical the law would have yep. would have forbidden. Others, you know, remember Paul has the problem with the Jewish Christians saying we can't eat meat. Don't sacrifice, sacrifice to, to the gods. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it might have been that it was sacrifice to the gods. We know that Nebuchadnezzar sees himself as a god. Yeah. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's the fact that this is the king's meat and it's been sacrificed to him as a deity on earth. But whatever it is, it has to do with this Babylonian culture. And the and Babylon from the from the time of Isaiah has now represented the world. And so here is here is the way of the world. It's the way the world eats. Um, later on, we're going to see the way the, the world's music and the world's way of worship, and and it's daily. David and his friends are inundated with this every single day, and it's a very intentional attempt by Babylon to Babylonianize Babylon to Babylonianize you. That's what yeah, Babylonianize you. It's and and part of it is part of it has to do with you, but I think the other part of it has to do with the effect that's going to have on the Ezekiels and on the other Jews that are left back in Jerusalem uh, when they see the, the most promising have, have left your faith. And I think about the consequences of, of bishops who, who walk away from the faith or stake presidents that we find out have been living this lifestyle of, of sin and, and, and they've not been living what they've been teaching. And yeah, it's, it's devastating for that family, but it's, it's fascinating to, the effect that it has on on the whole stake yeah. or the whole ward. And I think that's what Nebuchadnezzar is trying to do here is how can I get you to adopt the world? We talk a lot about the world, you know, parents adopting us. And a long time ago, I heard Jared Halverson teach this lesson about, you know, the two dads. You know, we have these two spiritual, two potential spiritual dads. Heavenly Father is our Heavenly Father, but spiritually in this world, we get to choose Christ or choose the devil. And he said, nobody's going to pick the devil as their dad. Like, what kind of dad would he be? Abusive. And I, But what we usually end up doing is we pick between the moms. You know, Jesus is marrying the church, and the, Satan is marrying Babylon. And in this, in this situation, it, it seems like King Nebuchadnezzar is doing everything he can to appeal to David and these, these other three young men to say, adopt our ways. Become a part of our family. And, and we just I just have been thinking about what are the things... What are the things that every day inundate my kids with the ways of the world, with the way the world talks, with the way the world eats in here, with the music they listen to, with, with the way they dress, with, you know, what are the things of the world that are meant to pull you out of 
the, the way of, of Christ. And I, I think about with the new First Strength of Youth that's come out. And my kids brought it up this weekend. They're like, Dad, did you know that the First Strength of Youth, the new First Strength of Youth doesn't say you can't have tattoos? I'm like, really, what does it say? <laughs> and my kid's like, it says counsel with your parents. And I said, well, consider it done, no tats. And, uh, and they laughed and we all talked. It, but it's so interesting that we know that the way of the church is, you know, traditionally and typically no tattoos. Yeah. And yet the world's cry, they, they're inundated with this allure to get tattoos. Yeah. So anyway, and, I just, I'm well, fascinated with that. Just along those lines, you're talking about what happens when a Daniel goes through and he's adopted and, and he's allowed all those things to come in. And, and I couldn't help but think, but he doesn't. He doesn't. Like, yep. I mean, he becomes famous and good and popular and stuff in them, but he holds every one of yep. his standards. And then I thought, how cool is that then when he goes and marches through the town and everyone's like, he stuck to his guns. He's, he went back east. And he went to this university, and he comes back even stronger and better and okay. so dedicated to the gospel. You know what I mean? Like, it's, how neat is that? It's James Talmadge time. You ready? Yeah, okay. I'm ready. So it's been a few weeks. When I, I've been pretty good. <laughs> I've kind of held off. So James Talmadge is one of the very first, if not the first, uh, young adult that the, that the leaders of the church in Salt Lake kind of consent to let him go back to school, to go back east. He kind of gets these stirrings, and he wants to go, and he wants to go, but right now they're they're building zion and at his age people aren't going to college they're going on missions and so he kind of reserves this desire uh and and the brethren have been the brethren are very outspoken brigham young john taylor john taylor's the president of the church at this time but john taylor and brigham young both as well as their counselors are strong strongly outspoken against public school which again goes back to some of their experiences they had in the early church of We've knuckled down. Let us be who we are here. Yep. Everyone else, and, leave us alone. And this idea that if you go back to a secular school and you are surrounded like Daniel and these four boys, you're surrounded by that secular, um, that secular society that rejects everything religious, you you could lose your testimony. So James Talmadge, he goes back, and it is, it is an awesome story. For two years, he spends one year in, uh, in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and then at Lehigh, Lehigh? University, right, yeah. and then he. And then he changes midstream and goes and does a year at uh, Johns Hopkins and then comes home and and maintains that faith. And I think that's and part of it. And he becomes, you know, this incredible influence in Salt Lake. And part of that is because of what you just said. He's like a Daniel. He's gone back. He's he's taken everything good that Babylon has to offer in the east. And he's brought it back without bringing the all of the negative and sacrificing standards. And Daniel's going to do the same thing. I think, you know, it, one of the very first things that the, the Babylonians do to Daniel and his friends, and and I'm assuming they do this to all of you know any of the the young men or young women that they bring into Babylon and they try and try and overwhelm them or take over their culture or get them to accept a different culture. Verse seven, uh, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. He gave unto Daniel the name Beth, uh, Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah, Shadrach, and to Mishael, uh, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. And I, there's, there's, some, there's something important about this. In the Hebrew language, the word El is, is God. It's Elohim. And so in Daniel and Mishael, at the end of their name, every time they said their name, they were labeled as, a, as, a, as God. 
Um, in fact, Mishael actually means to be like God, one like God. Hananiah and, and Azariah, the, the A-H at the end of it, has reference to Jehovah. So same with, with Hananiah and, and Azariah. In fact, I think Hananiah, the name is um, a special gift from God or something like that. And so each one of these young men, their names tie them to God. And it makes me think about President Nelson's uh, broadcast of the young adults, May, what, yeah. six months ago? Yeah. When he said, look, you've got to be careful how you label yourself. And don't let the world rewrite your labels. Yeah. Don't, let, don't let the world insist that other labels are more important than those most, you know, he mentions five of them, but the first, first one's being son or daughter of God and a disciple of Christ. Yeah. Those have to be, and, and you'll watch as you go through chapter two and chapter three and chapter four. Um, there's, it, it bounces back and forth. It seems like anytime a Babylonian is speaking to them, they're using, they're using these Babylonian names, but anytime they're speaking together, so at the end of chapter two, when Daniel goes back and gathers his friends, he's not saying Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. They're, they're, one of the ways they're preserving their connection to God is by refusing the Babylonian or the labels of the world. Yeah, I uh, just, We'll, we'll probably keep going, but do you remember this? Uh, I think Von J. Featherstone told this story back in the 70s. They took uh, King Louis the XIV. Oh, do you remember this yes. little story? I love this story, and, and I've been thinking about it, so I'm like, hey, we better share it. Um, so fill in the blanks that I missed. So they, they take Louis the XIV or Louis the X or whichever one it is during the revolution, and they've disposed of his, of his dad, and they take this kid. He's a teenager. Uh-huh. And they take him, and they just they give him, like, just junk food. Just food that would just like make him have appetites and 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 bad habits, and they give him all this food, and they surround him with lewd and lusting women, and they just every like people who had vulgar thoughts and vulgar language and all of these things. And after six straight months of just pounding this teenager, pounding him away from his family with all of this stuff, he hasn't caved. He hasn't done anything. Mm-hmm. And they say, how is it possible that we've given you food and women and all this bad culture? How is it that you haven't caved? And he said, I, I can't cave. I was born to be a king. I was born to be a king, yep. And I love that story because Daniel understands with his name, I know who I am. I know that God has given me a name. I know that I have taken upon myself the name of Jesus Christ. Why would I change? Yep. You cannot give me anything that is worth anything because God has already promised me so much. And, and so if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm a parent and I'm trying to teach it, my wife and I spend a lot of time wondering, like usually just running our heads into a brick wall. Like, what if... <laughs> How we're doing? What are we doing, and what are we doing wrong, and how? And how did, despite everything we've done wrong, how do we end up with just amazing kids? Like my kids are, uh, they all have their issues, but I, I wouldn't trade a single one of them. Like I, every one of my kids is, is they're just amazing. And but I think one a parent's greatest desire is to raise kids so that when they leave the house. When they're away from our influence, I mean, we put we put things at the front of the doors. We put them on the, you know, return even the honor. yeah, every <laughs> return with honor. Remember who you are, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And and w- our hope is that when they go to the school halls, when they are when they're flipping through Instagram, that they'll remember their standards, that they'll remember who they are. And the story of Daniel, one of the things that jumps out at me is one of the best ways to do that is to connect them, highlight for them over and over and over again, underscore for them over and over and over again, their connection to God, their relationship to God, their identity, ba- their, their main identity isn't, it has nothing to do with how they do in English or how they, you know, what they got on mass score or how they do in the, in, in a football game. 
their number one identity is a son or a daughter of God. So, which I got to take, I got to take a pause and just a shout out to my son who, as a sophomore, got called up to play varsity, the playoff game, got a, got an interception, oh, nice. got a pick and got his name. Yeah, so, cool. but Chase, cool. it, it, being a son of God matters more. So <laughs> not that I don't even think he watches this, so it doesn't matter. But um, anything else in chapter one? No, should we go I, on to I chapter just want, two? yeah, that connection. That was a longer I, connection than I anticipated, but I loved it. It's, I loved it. It's it is fun. an awesome, when you start looking at it that way, everything else. this is why yes. they can do what they're about yep. to do. Yep. Yeah. All right. Let's jump to chapter two. Okay. The dream. The dream. I, I, I love the parallels with Joseph. Yeah. Um, and I love that even Nebuchadnezzar ramps it up from what Pharaoh Yeah. Like, does. You think this is bad? Yeah. You, you think, interpret my dream. I'm not even hard? telling you what yes. is in it. And, and uh, everybody else is like, nobody can. You, there's no man on earth. Where, yes. There's no, where is it? It's, uh, a, it's a rare 20. thing. 11? It's a rare thing that the king requires. There is none mm. other that can show it before the king except yep. the gods who dwell if, whose dwelling is not with flesh. They're like, nobody can do this There's thing. no man It's earth. impossible. And he's like, I'll make you rich by, by, <laughs> more than your wildest dreams. Or your house will be a dunghill. Yeah. You got a day. And everyone's about to be deposed except for... Daniel decides, I stand up. And this was when I made this connection back to 1 verse 17, where Daniel has now understanding in all visions and dreams. All. Because he's connected to God. He is now blessed with spiritual things. Yeah, he can run fast. That's nice. And yes, he can breathe easy on hikes. But he is getting spiritual blessings now by choosing to put the Lord first. So, at, at that. And I love the fact, and we didn't talk about this much, but the way Daniel approaches the prince of the eunuchs in chapter one suggests you, you mentioned he he's friends with him that that sets up chapter two daniel's oh, yeah. not there when the king calls mm-hmm. all of his sorcerers and i think for me there comes a point if our friends that are not connected to the lord our friends that you know members of the church but not active or, or not members of the church there's going to come a time when the normal places that they go to seek strength and refuge. I, I, I always, I draw, I go back and think about Isaiah's complaint against the Israelites that you go to the Philistines in the East and the soothsayers and the sorcerers for your replenishment. That, so the first thing Nebuchadnezzar does is he goes to the witches and the magicians, magicians and the yeah. scientists and he goes, all he goes yeah. to everything the secular world has to offer. Yeah. And, and up until now, he's been satisfied with them. We have to assume that. Yeah. But now there's a point where He's troubled. It, it talks about him being, he wakes up from this dream and he's troubled. And I think one of the one of the blessings, one of the coolest things is when you're the Daniel and one of your friends is troubled and everything that they've gone to, whether it's drugs, whether it's, al- whether it's alcohol, whether it's Netflix, whether it's uh, food, wherever they've gone, media, all of a sudden they realize that those things are not satisfying them anymore. And you can say, I have an idea. I, I, I think I might be able to help. Yeah. That's just a, that's a, and, and if you don't live chapter one, if you're just like the rest of the world, I, I don't remember, was it President Packer or something that said, if you're just like the world, then nobody will ever look to you. Yeah. If you want to make a difference in the world, you got to be different, be different from the world. You got to be different from the world, yeah. Yes. Uh, and, and that, just that same thought along those lines where um, Daniel knows that, that people are going to be coming to him. He needs to be dependable. And what a blessing that is when your friends come to you and they say, will you pray for me? Mm-hmm. Like, take that seriously. Yeah. And and say, absolutely. Can I teach you how to pray? What a Let's blessing pray that together. is. To, 
that you have become this type of person that they're like, I can I connect you to God. Mm-hmm. And and Daniel becomes this person in this chapter. Yeah. So what parts of the of the vision do you want to get into? Um, I I think so most of us are, most of us know the vision. So he, he sees this statue, this 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 humanoid statue type thing, a head of gold, and then as it goes down, each of the body parts progressively becomes a weaker or a less valuable material. Less valuable. I think so, I, um, people might have to correct this part, but some of the val- some of the the metal gets stronger. So you get iron at the bottom. Yeah, right? which is incredibly strong, but it's le- way less valuable than gold. Yeah, but it's also mixed with clay. Yeah. So while it's more powerful, it also has its weak Weakness, links, so yes. to speak. Mm-hmm. So. But yeah, and I guess the value is what is really being portrayed yes. here. You start yeah. with this head of gold, and um, I've always thought it's interesting that in the next chapter, after having this dream, yes. Nebuchadnezzar's like, huh, I got an idea. Let's make one 90 feet tall. <laughs> 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. 9 feet wide, yeah. Can you think of a more, t- like, unstable, and that's it for another chapter, but <laughs> but as Daniel, you know, comes to him and says, I, I can do this, I, I guess before you get to the actual vision, I love the fact that Daniel goes to his friends and says, hey, will we pray with me? Uh, it, this is, I think it's, we're, we're far enough in the Old Testament now that we're starting to see these connections. You mentioned the connection between Nebuchadnezzar and Pharaoh and Joseph and Daniel. There's also this connection between Daniel and Esther. And Esther has her maids and, and Daniel kind of has his homies. And, and, you know, ask yourself with your group of friends, are you, the, you know, do you have the group of friends that you could, go to them and say, hey, I've got a big test coming up and I need, I need some help. Let's pray about this. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and would you pray for me? I think sometimes, I think it was my mother-in-law that, that brought this to my attention. And then Ron Bartholomew, who was one of those guys that you get a few years to teach around and you feel like you've been blessed for a lifetime. And uh, he, he taught this principle, this idea that we are too private with our struggles. We are too private with what scares us and what, with what we're dealing with. Um, the universal American response to how are you doing is, I'm fine. I'm fine. Good. You can be having the crappiest day in the world. Your life can be in total turmoil. And someone says, how are you doing? And you say, I'm fine. And, and the question, and, and I, I, I just look at Daniel and think, ah, that, that may not be the best approach. So he goes to his friends and says, hey, I've got this challenge in my life. And I, I just wonder what spiritual strength we're missing because we're not willing to go and say, I need, I need some, I need some backup. And so, so I, I think that's a, a really significant part that's of 18, this chapter. Right? 17 yep. and 18 right there mm-hmm. where he goes with his companions. So then he goes in and, and after a while, I guess the, and the other point, he tells the king who's, who's hasty and ready to kill everybody right now. He tells the king, give me time. Yeah. Like, don't rush this. Mm-hmm. We can't force president Packer. You can't sport. You can't force spiritual things. Yep. So then he gets in there. And what a great connection already to make now that Daniel is saying, like, it's not me. He doesn't go in right away and be like, let me just go. He's showing his dependence on God where he's like, yeah. I, can't, I can't force it. But if you give me some time, I, I can have this revelatory experience. Yep. Yeah. So he goes in and, and uh, he reveals the king or he reveals the dream. Legs of iron, you know, verse 33, legs of iron. We talked about what it was. And then verse 34, thou sawest till a stone was cut without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and break them to pieces. Um, somebody taught me way back with, uh, in Genesis 11 when, 
the oh, Babylon. The, yeah, the, the, the Tower, Tower of Babel. Babel. Yeah. They're building a temple of brick and mortar. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it was Patrick Dane that, sh- that shared with me this idea that in the Old Testament, anything with brick, brick is man-made, and therefore it's, it, it, it represents world and those things that will come to an end, it will crumble. But a stone, stones are what God makes. Yep. God is the creator of stones. And so when you see altar of stones, that's a, that is a righteous yep. altar. Yep. Um, so here we have this, this stone that's cut out of a mountain without hands, this idea that it's not man-made, it's not temporal, this is something eternal, this was created by the creator. Mm-hmm. And, and that's his kingdom. And the idea that this stone is what's going to break these kingdoms. And this is, I guess, one of the things I wanted to ask you is, like, how, how do you see the kingdom of God destroying the kingdoms of the world? I, I think that's a great question, and just as part of that, I, I want to share this phrase from 44. It says, in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. That God wasn't coasting during these kingdoms. Mm-hmm. I love that in, the, in this time that they're building, that it's got a head of gold and the chest and arms of, of silver, that God is already setting this up. And, and so for me, I love, the, I, I love to see all of the things that the Lord sets up before he needs them so that when we need them, they're already ready. And I think of that with the Book of Mormon, when that comes forward. Mm-hmm. I, I, President Packer said that about seminary. He said seminary was created when it was nice but nice. not necessary. Yeah. And now it's and a bulwark. Yeah, and, and things like that where you just realize that all of these great things that the Lord has given to us, that opportunities now for parents to be sitting down with the scriptures more often with their kids, that they're like, you're going to be surrounded by the world way more often. Can I, let's talk about specific things. That as a family, this is what we're going to be doing. These are our expectations. And this is this is what we need for you mm. to be able to rally together. And so I love this idea of God set it all up so that you can have all of the tools when you need them. So I just had this thought, and I did, it didn't ever dawn on me until you pointed this out. But even with what he's doing, like when you think about in the days of these kings, so that includes Nebuchadnezzar. That's going to include the, the, the king of the Medes that comes next, and then Cyrus the Persian. It, and it's not just when Israel Caesars. is succeeding. God is setting up his kingdom with what's going on with the scattering, as much as he's setting it up with the gathering. What's, what's happening to Israel is necessary. Think about, well, just what we're doing this week. We're studying scripture that was done. Daniel finds himself in a place where he's inundated with the world where he's overwhelmed with it, where he feels like everywhere he turns, it's there. It, just like our kids, every time they open, a, every time they throw their phone open and, the, you know, whatever app they're on or whatever game they're playing. And now we have this, not only do we have an example of how to do it, but Daniel kind of becomes the champion of what it means to live behind enemy lines, like President yeah. Packer said. Yeah. You can, and, and the message of you can do it. And at the end of the day, when we look back, God says, yeah, I was doing it on purpose. Mm-hmm. I sent you there for a reason, yeah. and it was, and it had to do with building up my kingdom. So, that's a cool thought. I've never seen that. Yeah. Okay, so how does it win? How does how does the kingdom of God destroy the kingdoms of the world? Um, well, according to the verse, <laughs> it just plows them over. <laughs> the king, the, yeah, it does. It, it consumes them. It, which means it takes all of those things and makes it a part of itself. Mm. Now, it doesn't mean it adopts all the worldly things, but it crushes all of those things and takes all the value if they had any, and and keeps it, and it shall stand forever. And I love that it says this, the kingdom shall not be left to other people. 
you have Joseph Smith in the standard of truth. Mm -hmm. Man, we used to say that on, on my mission as missionaries, and you just, you like felt it. You're like, I'm, I'm pushing this rock along. Uh -huh. I'm pushing this stone. And, and it was such a, a great feeling to know that you're like, just pieces by pieces and family by family, you're making a difference in the world. And every, all the little bit counts. And God doesn't leave it to other people. There's no such thing as, man, that was so lucky that worked out like that. Yeah. It's like, no, we're so blessed that God allowed this to work out for us. And, and that idea for me, for, for Daniel, as he's teaching Nebuchadnezzar, he's talking to a guy who doesn't believe in God. And he's saying, you're going to get crushed by him. My God will always beat your God. And at the end of it, Nebuchadnezzar's like, all right, cool. He, he seems to be okay with this vision because he understands that even this vision for him came from God. Yeah. God is trying to help Nebuchadnezzar, whether or not he listens. And, and in verse 46, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worshiped Daniel and commanded that they should offer an oblation of sweet odors unto him. He's, Daniel's like, well, stop, I told you, it's not me. Yeah. Gave credit um, back in verse, you know, 28. Yeah, and, and the king answered and said, of truth that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldest reveal this secret. I gave my magicians and sorcerers and mathematicians and scientists and every, I, I gave the secular world the impossible task and no one could do it but you. And you did it because of your God. And I love the fact that the magicians were like, no God dwells among the flesh. There's no, only, only a God could do this, and gods don't dwell among mm -hmm. flesh. And then what do we see in the next two chapters, or three or four chapters? You, you know, chapter three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Yeah. It's God dwelling with men of the flesh. Yeah. And Daniel's like, I can do this because God is with me. Yeah. What a cool thing. We do have a God in, that, is, that dwells with us in the flesh. Yeah. Love that. Chapter three. Chapter three. I don't know what our time's looking like, but uh, uh, I think we're over. But we'll. It's okay if we do one. That's one. We're one. still not going as long as Brother Howard does. So <laughs> that's probably true. And, no, and here's the thing. <laughs> three and three and six are similar. Which yes. The principles yeah. are the same. And and there's uh, uh, in we mentioned the size of this for if you're teaching little kids or even if you're teaching like a bigger class, it might be fun to map out what 90 feet is. Oh, yeah. To go and say, all right, let's walk. It's this to this. That's all gold. It's uh -huh. nine feet wide. It's all gold. That uh, Then you get into the rules, the commandments that they have here in, in verses 5 and 6, and you can read through all those instruments. If you even have some instruments, you could have them. Play them. Play them. Sackbutt, that's so fun to say. And then psaltery, dulcimer. They're like accordions and triangles and bagpipes and trombone. Uh, yeah. I break think, out so the band. Here's what I would do teaching. If I were teaching this, mm -hmm. um, so I would talk to my kids about, uh, oh, and I just forgot his name. Who's the guy with, the, who's the Russian psychologist with the dogs? Pavlov. Pavlov. I would talk to, I would teach my kids about Pavlov mm -hmm. and about the bell and the, and the, the salivating yes. and, and the fact that, or show them that we can become, the with, with the mints. oh yeah, oh, that's <laughs> right, with the Altoids. <laughs> yeah, the Altoids, that's yes. right. Yes. Yeah. And he just, ding, <laughs> and so, and, and I would talk to him about conditioning. Yeah. We get conditioned and just like the dogs get conditioned. And I, as I read this, that's, I, it mm, seems to me that Nebuchadnezzar is trying to condition these people. Every time you hear this sound, every time you hear this band, you do something. Yeah. And I, if, I were with my, if I were with a group, I would just, if I was with a group of young adults, uh, whether that's Gospel Doctrine or I was just, you know, Wednesday night group that wants to get together and talk. I think it would be fun to create um, 
You've seen like the twist it, pop it, that thing. Oh yeah. I would, t I would attach an action to each one of those kinds of a things, mm. or or maybe one action to each instrument, and then it becomes kind of a, uh, a form of musical. Simon says, and as you blow a horn, you're supposed to go down and take a knee, or as you hear, uh, you know, a saxophone, you need to clap your hands or whatever, and create your own kind of fun little Simon says with music. Mm. And just to get the idea that this is what this is, you know, this is this is what Nebuchadnezzar is doing, yeah. and this is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are. This is this is what they're trying to avoid. Is they're they're trying to put off the conditioning, and then I would have the conversation about in what ways and to what behaviors does the world condition us? Um, you know, some sometimes we get conditioned in a way that when we start feeling certain things, we go to certain outs. We you know, I'm chocolate and ice cream, or I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm one of those that I, food is my comfort thing, and so when I get stressed, it's, it's a Reese's, good call, and one, or if it's really bad, two Dr. Peppers, <laughs> also good call, um, and so what, are, what, in what ways is the world conditioning us, yeah. uh, and, and then go through the, and then once you've done that, then it's kind of fun to go through this and, 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 and explain, yeah. You know, then what's happening? Yeah. Well, and he sets up the consequences. I mean, in, in 14 here and 15, he says, is it true that you're not doing what I asked you mm -hmm. to do? And then 15 says, now, if you be ready that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made? Well, he says, good. I'm giving you one more shot. Yep. Th and this is it. Which is actually, from what we know of Nebuchadnezzar, pretty nice. This is like a patient yes. Nebuchadnezzar. They had already knew that what mm -hmm. the warning was, and he's given him one more shot here. But he says, but if you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? And I, I love this, this question. I mean, back then, when you, one country conquered another, it meant, at least to them, our God is better than your God. Yep. Yeah. Our and God beat your God. Exactly. And so he's almost saying, like, you guys are nobodies. I have beat you, and I conquered your temple. I defaced it. I've defiled it. I took all of your treasures. You're now my slaves, and you really think your God's going to save you? Yeah, but in the last chapter. Oh, I know. This I is know. the part that just drives. I'm like, Nebuchadnezzar, you just said your God is a God of gods and a yes. Lord of lords. And it. And to be honest, I, I had to make a, take a little drive today, and as I was thinking about that aspect of Nebuchadnezzar, I'm like, Man, I, sometimes I'm a little bit like that. Mm. I'm so grateful for whatever miracle has recently happened. And I, you know, I, right now in our life, pretty much everything revolves around building the house. And, and things will happen that will go my way. I'm like, oh, yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah. And then something falls apart, and I'm like, why do you hate me? Mm. And I'm, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar, we shouldn't be shocked. And then... We don't need to look any further than the mirror to realize we're often like that. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And and so just keep going with the story yes, then. Get um, I love in 16 says, we're not careful to answer thee. Meaning, we're not mincing words. I'm not. You need to understand what we are saying. I'm not going to be embarrassed Isn't to tell you what so I'm about cool? to say. Yep. Uh, and if it says uh, in 17, if it so be, our, now, as I was reading seven, six, 17 and 18, I would just ask this, what do they know and what do they not know? Because mm -hmm. this is so key. It says, if it so be 
our B cell, our God whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And and just as you're teaching, and I would just set that up, what do they know? What do they not know? Mm-hmm. They know God can. Yep. They know they will never serve this pretend God. And, and those two things are most important. They already know where their dedication sits, yep. and they already know that God can do anything. The part they don't know is the outcome. <laughs> yeah. And and so they know that God can, and they just don't know what God wants. Mm-hmm. What's the will of God? Because what God wants, He's going to get. Yes. And and we know the story about this, and we'll get there. But I, Elder Maxwell, makes this great point about we talked about the parallels between Esther and Daniel and and Nebuchadnezzar and Pharaoh and. Elder Maxwell points out a really, I think, a really important parallel to these three young men, and that's the three young women in the story of Abraham, Abraham yeah. that are that are sacrificed. They refuse to to give on their standards, and and even though God is just as able in their story to save them as He was in the story of Hananiah and and Mishael and Azariah, for whatever reason, He didn't in theirs, and so often that's going to be that's our that's our that's where we find ourselves is it's not when we find ourselves not delivered it's not because god can't it's there's something he knows there's something he knows that is that it means he isn't going to but it doesn't mean he can't and i i think you have to in talking about these three young men you have to talk about those three young women because for every time god does there's someone who's who's left wondering, why not me? Why'd they get the blessing? Why did they get the miracle and we didn't? Why was my dad, why was their dad preserved from cancer and mine was was not? Was taken. Um, and I think there's, that's, a, that's, that's an important, this is one of those places where we've got yeah. to point that out for people who do find themselves wondering why they're not getting the blessings that they, that they deserve is the wrong word, but they have sought righteously. Yeah. And, and that's the, as part of this, my, my probably my my favorite verse in all of Daniel is 18, and it's it's because of the first three words. But if not, but if not, and and that idea of uh, my my faith is in Jesus Christ. It's not in outcomes. Yeah. And in a kind of a weird way, if it is based on outcomes, it's kind of a weird form of idolatry. I'm believing in the outcome. I'm not believing in God, or I'm not believing in His Son. And so this idea where they say, I, I don't know what God's going to do, but that doesn't change my faith. And, and Elder Bednar gave that, that story or that example years ago. He says, do you have faith not to be healed? Mm-hmm. And it's the same faith. The faith to be healed and the faith to not be healed. It's the same faith because it's in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it's in our Heavenly Father. And we trust His will above all other things. And I love that example comparing this one to Abraham, uh, or to the, those three women in Abraham. Um, you get another example in uh, early part of Acts when James is beheaded. Yeah. At the end of the chapter, Peter's delivered Peter's from safe. an angel. Yep. And sometimes we get the sword, and sometimes we get the angel. Yeah. And and in th- all those cases, it doesn't. James isn't any less of a, a good servant of the Lord than Peter is, but his. But if not, his faith is still there. Yeah. And and it's not based on the outcomes. It's based on the Savior. And that's, to me, the key part of this story and six and in all of this. So one of the things that I had the thought of as I was studying it this time, um, remember they get the. Nebuchadnezzar gets so furious, he's like, crank it up seven times hotter than normal. It's so hot that the guards that throw him in there die. They die. Again, Nebuchadnezzar is a rash, (laughs) 
hostile individual. Uh, and then they're like, wait a minute, how many people did we throw in there? Uh, and they answered and said unto the king, true, okay, we only threw three in there. Verse 25, he answered and said, lo, I see four men, and they're loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Uh, I wonder, and I, I've had this thought about these three, th those three virgins from Abraham. Although the outcome was different, and there's, there's no text to support this, except for Alma 7, where it talks about Christ taking upon us, taking upon him, our burdens. I think the one thing that's consistent, regardless of what the outcome is, I think this part is consistent about him being there with us. And, and the fact that, again, I go back to this idea that the, the magicians are like, there's no gods that walk among the flesh. And that is, that's the miracle of Christianity, is that the Son of God did come among those of us in flesh. And not just immortality, I believe he still does. Yeah, I, I love that. I, I love then he pulls him out of the fire, and in 27, uh, it says, and he saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed upon them. It takes all of three seconds to sit by a campfire before everyone knows you sat by a campfire. You stink, yep. And these guys are in the middle of a fire, and they don't even smell like it. There is no part of the world, because they've sealed themselves up so tight, there's no part of the world that touches them. They walk out not influenced at all by the world because of their example here, because of their example in chapter 1. And I love that, that tie-in. Because the Savior's with them. That's who they walk with. Mm -hmm. And when you walk with him, you don't walk with the world. Yep. And then in 28, Nebuchadnezzar says again, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they're probably thinking, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted him. And so here again, he's like, I make a decree. I, all right. Their God's the man. They're, he's the man. He is the one. He is the Lord of Lords, God of Gods. And then he blows it. Yeah. Um, so, chapter four. You just get. I, I think the great thing about Daniel in this dream, in this, and you see it in other places. And maybe the only thing we want to say about chapter four, he sees this dream, this great tree, and it gets cut down. And he calls Daniel calls Nebuchadnezzar. He's like, or vice versa. And, hey, Daniel, you you did it good last time. What's it this time? And I wonder how tempted Daniel would have been to be like, um going to be a good harvest. You don't want to know. <laughs> Seven years of plenty. Yeah, uh, that's not happening. No, he just says, I, you're, the key, you're the tree, and you're getting cut down. Yep. And I, I think there's, in, in a world that where we're getting tempted all the time to say, your truth, my truth, everybody gets their truth, one of the things that Daniel's saying is that if you want to stand up in the world, you have to stand on truth. If you choose the world's truth, it's going to always be shifting. Daniel always speaks the, that, that truth that he gets from God rather than the truths he gets from the world. So, Love that. that's not kind of all. I just do that really quick. Good. Do you want to move on? Do you want to do six or not? I think, yeah, let's do six. Okay. Uh, well, okay, five. I know that you're a huge country music fan. <laughs> no. Yes. Gross. You've deep offended down, me. No, deep you've down, offended me beyond reason right Deep now. down, you're not really. About Johnny Cash. Table. Johnny, I can listen Johnny to Johnny Cash has a great song about chapter five. If you're, if, yeah, just go. You've been weighed in the, and you've been found wanting. There's just, chapter five is just this warning to, to all. Not just God's covenant, not just the children of Israel, but all of the world. There's, there's going to come a time of weighing. 
Yeah. It, it's coming for everyone. There's going to be a, a time of, of weighing. Yep. Okay, j- chapter 6. Okay, i got to tell a funny story about yeah. this. Um, so, Brother Hess is a seminary teacher that I taught with. Uh, I taught around him several times down in yeah. Utah County. One of the greatest men. Happy, happy. Uh, he's also very theatrical and has some gifts. Uh-huh. So he plays... He plays Darius in one of the okay. church's videos okay. uh, in Daniel in the Lion's Den. Okay. And he's with his institute, he's with his seminary class, and he's kind of, he, and, and when he would play this video, he'd just kind of sit at the back and he'd just watch. And kids would start comparing faces. <laughs> so one day, when it gets to the part where Darius is at the end of the, d- the morning and Darius is running to the thing, yeah. just as somebody's about ready to say, hey, is that a kid up at the front says, Run, fat man, run! <laughs> and makes this sarcasm. We always had him oh, in our seminary. Course, the, yeah. the commentators that, yeah. and so then afterwards, somebody's like, "Brother Hess, was that you?" And he's like, "Yeah." That was. And this kid says, "Oh no!" <laughs> uh, so I can't. Uh, I get to Daniel six, and you always think of that. I always think that's of that awesome. story. That yeah, that's great. Um, what I guess here we are. This is you already mentioned the fact that this is like yeah, Daniel chapter three all over again. Um, one of the things that I find fascinating in this is that almost like in the story of Esther, Darius is kind of lured into trapping Daniel. Oh, yeah. This yep. doesn't start with Darius like it, like it did with Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. Um, and the fascinating thing, the reason I find this fascinating is because in chapter 2, Daniel's the one that saved everybody's lives. Yeah. All of these magicians and all of the secular scientists and magicians and, and whoever, the soothsayers, wise men if it wasn't for Daniel they you know they or people they were close to would have been killed yeah and yet it's just there there comes a point where that wedge of secularism and and the world eventually drives its way elder maxwell talks about the polarization and and even the the favors that daniel's done you know even though that's another another kingdom ago essentially with a different king yeah now it's persians they uh They've forgotten. Yeah. Well, and in verse three of chapter six, then Daniel is preferred above them. That uh, there's that old saying, and it's a, probably a prov- considered a proverb that comparison is the thief of joy. Mm-hmm. That all these people, it's what about us? And and you don't need to look any further than church history to see a lot of examples with people with Joseph Smith. Yeah. That Joseph was so willing to share, like let's let's make sure everyone can hold the priesthood. And and he's like. Oh, you got a quorum of twelve apostles and members of the seventy, and they're they're spreading this power everywhere. And yet it was yeah. All these people are just like, what about us? What about mm-hmm. Oliver Cowdery and, and all these people who thought we're supposed the to Whitmers. be more? Yeah. The Whitmers are a great yeah. example. And yeah. it's it's about us, and and you're you're never content with what you have, and so that comparison between those I, I think is awesome. And and in verse ten, of course, I mean. Daniel knew, knows the writing. He knows that, okay, you can't ask anybody of anything. Daniel leaves the door open and opens the blinds and prays three times a day. Mm-hmm. Like, he has, he has no qualms about what he's doing. He has, he's not shocked that he's taken captive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I love it. I love that Daniel's like, I'm, I'm okay. He has seen, like, to me, if, if this is the fall, and the Babylonians have fallen, and now we're into the Persians, Daniel's older now. Yeah. This isn't young man Daniel standing up about the meat. He has learned these lessons as a youngster that now he's like, the rest of my life, he's like, I'm in. I, I, don't, I don't care what happens. He watched his three best friends walk into a fire, and they're like, but if not, we're good. Because we trust God. I really feel like Daniel has this same, this same outlook that he's like, I'm okay. 
I've got and, this. And in, uh, and in this case, and in chapter 3, just because you live the gospel doesn't spare you from the pit. Yeah. It doesn't spare you from the fire. You're still cast into it, and you're sometimes still cast into the den. That doesn't always change. But your faith is the thing that's letting you prevail through it. Mm-hmm. God doesn't stop it all from happening all the time. And that, that to me, insight. is the, the connection between these two chapters that is so incredible. And the other, the other big thing to me is Daniel doesn't speak much. I who, speak, too. who speaks in this chapter most of the time? It's, yeah, it's, it's the king. It's Darius. And so you have this example now of Daniel's goodness now spreads to other people. What did you see in chapter 1? Daniel's goodness spreads to other people. What do you see in 2? And it's so cool that as members of the church, when we figure this out, that if we can be good examples, it's going to spread. And other people will speak for us. Other people will seek to stand up for us if we hold to our standards. And now you have the king who is, he's converted. And it's most, most of the chapter is him speaking and him bearing his testimony. I know your God can deliver you. I know you can be okay. Just hang in there, Daniel. And you have him encouraging him. And Daniel's like, I know. And now he has this friend who's kind of, I don't know, almost a convert or coming around that he's the one who's, who's uh, trying to help him through this hardship. Yeah, I, the, I'm fascinated with, and, and I go back to, I think the same thing about Esther, the fact that here's Darius who's made this decree based on the counsel of his trusted advisors. Um, and then when the decree is carried out, He's powerless to stop it. And I think about how sometimes in the world we get, we start the ball rolling. And all of a sudden I think about, you know, gossip and and those kinds of things. And the the great, the analogy of the kid who spreads a rumor and then finally goes back to to say, I'm sorry. And uh, if I, I don't remember the story, right? It seems like it's about his baseball coach or something. Baseball coach benched him. And so he went and started telling some stories that were true. And. Mm Finally, his mom pulls him aside. So you need to go apologize. So he goes apologize to him. His coach takes this down pillow, cuts it open, and empties it out in the wind, and then said, "I, I accept your apology, but to fix what you've done, you got to go pick up all the feathers." Um, and I think sometimes, you know, in King Darius, if if we're not careful, we can find ourselves committed to do things that we really don't want to do. Uh, and the world is constantly trying to entrap us that way. But I love his confidence. And, like, he's the one bearing testimony to to Daniel. And I think about, I've got friends that have grown up outside of, uh, of Utah and Idaho, this kind of Wasatch quarter. And one of them, in a ward that I had, he, he grew up in, uh, his name was Nate. He grew up in Seattle, just outside of Seattle. Mm-hmm. And he said the best part about being a member of the church was, he said it was hard for a while, but once you got that true group of friends said, you didn't have to stand up for the gospel anymore. Your friends did. Yep. He said, so when he would have a Daniel one moment where somebody would offer him a beer, his friends would step in and be like, he doesn't drink. No. And I think Daniel's lived his life to the point, and he's made these connections that now Darius is the one testifying to Daniel. You're going to be okay. Yeah. You'll make it. Mm-hmm. And Daniel's like, I know. I got this. Yeah. And then the first thing Darius does is run down verse 18. What a good friend, um, huh? Yeah. And, and the and speaks to the point of the kind of influence we can have uh, outside of our wards and our and our branches um when the verse 19 the king arose very early in the morning as early as he possibly could without breaking his 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 law his law yeah and he rushes down he doesn't send a servant down he he runs down himself 
And when he comes to the den, he cries. And he says, and I just let me find it. Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually. What does that say about Daniel through the years? Able to deliver thee from the lion's den. And Daniel said unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lion's mouths. Um, and I'm good. I, as, a, as a missionary, so I didn't grow up in a real typical Latter-day Saint home. And, uh, and the scriptures were totally foreign to me when I got to the MTC. Like I, I wasn't in, I didn't go on a mission because I knew a whole bunch about the scriptures. And uh, I remember, and I love animals and I love kind of the outdoors and that kind of stuff. And I remember in the MTC getting to Daniel 6 and the teacher was teaching something. Sean Hopkins was a teacher. I don't know why, even why I remember his name, but he was teaching something out of Daniel 6. And I remember getting so excited. I'm like, what? That is so, and my, my companion, Elder Gilliland from California, I remember him, I remember the look on his face, like, how have you never heard of this story? Like, everyone has heard about right. this story. Like, right. watch a cartoon sometimes. <laughs> and uh, I just remember the excitement about this story. And, and, and it's, this is one of my, this is one of my MTC moments that I just, man, this is, this is so awesome that a God can do this. Um, and it's been interesting over the years as I've learned more and more about Daniel it's, I, I love your insight. About it. it all starts in one. Mm. Chapter two, chapter three, chapter six, four, five. None of these are, are true. None of these are possible without chapter one, yeah. without his willingness to be different from the world. And even though we risk being canceled or ridiculed or made fun of in person or online uh, or through a, a new, whatever platform you're on, what we get out of standing strong is worth it. And who we get to stand with when we stand apart is always worth it. Amen. I, I think just parting thought for Daniel to me is uh, hopefully, first of all, you guys understood how much we love Daniel. No kidding. Yeah. I mean, all these chapters are incredible. But I really think that living the gospel gets easier. N not even that our challenges get any easier because I think chapter one challenge is not as easy as three or six. Mm -hmm. But I think their ability to, to deal with it, to stand up, is, becomes a lot easier. And, and we get into habits of the gospel and that are good. And, and I think it's the same for them, and it can be the same for us, that if we can just continue to build on the things that we have, a stone, so to speak, the gospel rolling for, forth in our own life, mm -hmm. it's going to fill our life. And it's going to be a ton easier to handle whatever comes our way. Because we did it yesterday, we know that God's going to be with us tomorrow as well. Well, thanks for joining us for another week. Um, if you've lasted this long, I'm not sure how long it is, but this is going to be the longest one for sure. <laughs> if you've lasted this long, please uh, hit a little like button, share it, uh, send it around. Yep. yep. Thanks. We'll see you next week. Well, thanks again for joining us on Take a Second for Come Follow Me. Brother Black and myself want to emphasize that in this episode or any other episode, there's nothing that we've said that is meant to or can in any way be interpreted as the official doctrine or policy or practice of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, Brother Black and myself simply represent two guys that enjoy talking about Scripture and, and on our own life experiences as it relates to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and hope that in sharing some of our thoughts and, and insights, but certainly our personal opinions and nothing more, that uh, maybe it might open up the scriptures a little bit to you. So thanks again for joining us on Take a Second, and we will see you in our next episode.